Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there and here he has authority from all the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of israel for i will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake and ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him he said brother saul the lord jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the holy spirit immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And Father, we humbly pause and ask for you to help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit just to be attentive and receptive to what the voice of your Spirit would say to us through the Word of God this morning. We ask every intent behind why your Spirit inspired these things in the Word of God, Lord, would find its way into our hearts personally and collectively as a congregation this morning. Give us an ear to hear, Lord, what your spirit would say. Bless your word and speak to us now by his ministry. For we ask in Jesus' name expectantly. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, though clearly the Lord could accomplish all of his purposes and works by himself, the amazing thing is that he is actually chosen by design to use people. To use people as his instruments for his purposes to accomplish his work. And in our text this morning, we see the Lord reveals to us the ways that he uses some different people. A man named Ananias, as we'll see, as well as a reference to how he's going to begin to use Saul of Tarsus. And it provides us some insights on that subject of how the Lord uses people in this life the background of course we saw last time chapter 9 verse 1 through 9 was a record of this powerful spiritual conversion of this man Saul of Tarsus who was a great persecutor of the church hated Christ despised what would be the church or any form of Christianity the way as it was referred to and Saul had this direct personal encounter with the Lord Jesus which resulted in his very rebellious spirit against the Lord Jesus Christ being broken him being humbled and fully surrendering now to the Lordship of Jesus in fact just for the sake of context let's just reread let me do that verses 1 through 9 because it sets the stage of the flow as we come into verse 10 verse 1 says then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way 
whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, arrest them and take them there as criminals. And as he journeyed, he came near the city of Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, to which he made that great gulp, uh-oh, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And there he was three days, it says, without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So Saul, as a result of this direct encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, this very unique conversion spiritually, He's humbled, he's broken, and even we see he becomes temporary, temporarily blinded because of the brilliance of all the glory of heaven that just shined when Jesus Christ showed up in this revelation. And he has now sat for three days, in essence, in darkness. He hasn't eaten anything. He hasn't drunk anything. He's just sitting there in this condition, nothing to do but think and pray and to reflect upon everything that's just happened. And he's waiting for the Lord to tell him what to now do as a brand new servant of Christ who surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. To which verse 10 continues on to say, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am Lord. So as the story opens up, notice the Lord now gets the attention of a messenger whom he's going to use as his instrument to be sent to Saul of Tarsus to minister to him and to explain to him the next steps for his new life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, in the text with me, if you would, in verse 10, who the Lord uses for this very important task to now go to Saul of Tarsus, who ultimately, as we know, becomes Paul the Apostle. It says there in verse 10, there was there in Damascus a certain disciple named Adonias. Take notice, just a certain disciple. Ananias is not an apostle. He's not one of the 12 prominent apostles from back in the church in Jerusalem, Peter or James or John. He's not a pastor. He's not a deacon. He's not someone who holds, to our understanding, some position or title. He's not someone who's well-known or recognized from the established church back in Jerusalem. The Bible says he was just a certain disciple. Just a certain disciple. The implication there in the text is just a basic unknown person among the body of Christ, just a humble, common servant of the Lord. He was someone with no real title or role or recognition, just mainly living out his Christian life there in Damascus, this far off city outside of Jerusalem, just living out his faithful service to the Lord really in obscurity. Nobody really knows him. Nobody seems to know what he does. My point is, he's just an insignificant, from many people's perspective, disciple of the Lord, 
Point is, he's not the star quarterback. He's not the famous running back on the Lord's team. If you could illustrate, let's put it this way. He's kind of like, let's say, the, the unknown blocker on the punt return. That, that's about the level of his awareness. He's, he's in the game. He's participating. But who knows that unknown blocker on the punt return? He's not the star quarterback, the franchise quarterback. He's not the famous running back and everybody follows his stats and knows what he does. He's just kind of this un, unimportant in many people's eyes, insignificant believer who serves the Lord faithfully, but really doesn't have any recognition. Most people don't know much about him. And I think it's a reminder to us here as we look at this story, think of the important role Ananias gets to participate in. And it's just a reminder to us that the Lord uses anybody. The Lord uses everybody. And he desires to use anybody and everybody that we all might be ministers to some degree of the new covenant. In fact, I have found Most of what the Lord does to accomplish his kingdom work typically is done by individuals who are just faithfully serving Jesus in obscurity, in in maybe some seemingly insignificant way to the crowds. They're just a generic unknown disciple of Christ serving in unseen ways. They're not famous. They're not on, you know, Christian Post website. They haven't written three books. They're not on television. They don't have programs. They're just faithful disciples of the Lord who in their life are faithful in everyday living and just led by the Spirit to talk to people and pray with people and serve in capacities. And it's just a great reminder to all of us that the Lord doesn't always need to use the quarterback. He can use anybody, you and I, everybody. And he wants to use each and every one of our lives. Notice how as well the Lord communicates to Ananias. It says there in verse 10 that the Lord appears to Ananias speaking to him. It tells us verse 10 in a vision. It says the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am. A vision, which we read of in the Bible at times, is basically, you might say, the same kind of experience that you might have in a dream. You see things, you hear things. The difference is in a dream you're sleeping, in a vision you're not. You're awake. It speaks of the ability of the Spirit of God at times to reveal things to a servant of God without them being asleep while they're awake and just giving them a revelation spiritually. So as this communication is happening here between Ananias and the Lord, the implication here is that he's having some type of a visual experience as these things are unfolding. So perhaps maybe as the Lord's talking to him, as we see, giving him this assignment, he's actually seeing this house on the street called Straight that he's supposed to go to. Perhaps he's seeing where the location is and there's some visual experience. Maybe he sees Saul kneeling down and praying and seeking direction and then maybe himself standing in the room, laying hands on him, praying for God to restore his sight but he's actually seeing and hearing things during this dialogue. And look, it is possible sometimes that the Lord may give to, on occasion, one of his servants a vision as a way and means to communicate something to them. We saw back in Acts chapter 2 that part of the resulting effect of the pouring out of the Spirit upon his followers, it says that his servants at times would see visions, 
dream dreams, and receive prophetic words. So this is a part of New Testament Christianity and a part of the outpouring of the Spirit upon the Lord's followers, that this can be something that is experienced at times. Notice Ananias' sensitivity as well to the Lord. It says that when the Lord speaks to him, look what he says at the end of verse 10 there. He says, here I am, Lord. I like that. That's spiritual sensitivity. The Lord calls his name, one word, Ananias. Just one word, Ananias. And when he hears his name, here I am, Lord. It's almost like I'm presenting myself for duty. You're my ruler and my master. What's the instruction? What would you have me to do? I like this picture of Ananias here as a disciple of the Lord. It shows that he's ready, he's available, he's willing to listen. And look, if we are going to claim Jesus is our Lord, this should be reflective of what our attitude is as well. We should have that same heart that when the Lord calls our name and conveys something to us in our life, that we present ourselves willing and available, that we're ready to hear whatever instruction he wants to give to us, whatever he desires of us. And we want to seek to continually be growing in this area as believers, that we're listening for the Lord to call our name, that when the Lord wants to use us to do something on occasion, as he will, that we're ready to follow his directives, that we're sensitive, that we're yielded. So Ananias now hears his name called. The dialogue goes on in verse 11 to say, and then the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, Jesus says, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So he's instructed, he's to go to a specific location to this street called Straight, which to this day is still there in the area of Damascus, that he's to go to this location and there would be a house on this particular street that he was to go to and that when he arrived at that house, the purpose was that he was actually going to go in and have an encounter with Saul of Tarsus, who everybody knew at this point. He's going to go see Saul of Tarsus because Saul of Tarsus was there praying and that he was to go and somehow speak a message from the Lord and lay hands upon him that Saul might receive healing and the restoration of his sight. Notice the Lord tells him where to find him, exactly where he's to go and where the house was. So it was specific instruction. And sometimes the Lord will give us specific instruction to make sure that we are clear, that he's confirmed to us exactly what he is leading us to do and that this is genuinely something of the Lord. But I think it's beautiful to see as well as Jesus is informing here Ananias what is going on in Saul's life at this moment. Do you notice he tells him what Saul was doing? He says there in verse 11, behold, Saul of Tarsus right now, Ananias, he says, behold, he's praying. Now, to me, I find that very insightful because think about this for a moment. Saul of Tarsus, we know his background. We've talked about his pedigree. He was a devout Jewish man. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the Sadducee, I mean, excuse me, part of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council. And he was someone who was zealous for the ways of Judaism and the Mosaic law and the traditions of the elders. And I assure you, as an established religious leader, Saul had many times spoken rehearsed prayers that were a part of 
the life of a Pharisee, those who were part of the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders. But now he's had an encounter with Jesus. He's had a direct encounter with the Lord himself and has entered into this living personal relationship with Jesus. And perhaps for the first time in Saul's life, he's not saying prayers. He's actually praying. He's not saying rehearsed spiritual prayers, spiritual phrases that are a part of the religious, you know, kind of antics that go on when you pray. He's not saying rehearsed phrases and religious statements and saying prayers. He's praying. He's actually having a genuine direct communication with the Lord. And I'll tell you something, there is something very distinctly different and very wonderful between saying prayers and actually praying and actually talking to the Lord and having a, a meaningful conversation with the Lord in plain, simple speech, not rehearsed statements that somebody taught us but actually a genuine direct conversation with God himself. That's what prayer and praying really is. And I just beautiful. He's praying now. He's not saying prayers anymore. Now he's praying. And look what came as the result of Saul praying in verse 12. He himself, it says, saw a vision. And the vision Saul saw was Ananias coming to him, putting hands on him that he might receive his sight. So as well, Saul has now a vision and the Lord reveals to him what's about to come to pass in his life as he's waiting on the Lord. He's sitting there thinking and praying for three days. And now the Lord tells him in advance, Saul, this is what's going to happen. He sees a vision himself. He sees this man Ananias coming, laying hands on him and him being healed. And Ananias is instructed why specifically as he's being talked to by Jesus now, he was to go see Saul of Tarsus, which would be helpful as you're being sent to Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of the church. At this point, he said, Ananias, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go there. There's a purpose for this mission, Jesus tells him. I want you to go there. And he says, I want you to put your hand on him. The idea is probably pray over him, speak prophetically into his life, my word. And as you do that, it's so that he might receive his sight that he would be healed. So he's being sent as a vessel of the Lord to go minister to Saul of Tarsus to bring the Lord's power and healing into his life and to speak to him words of instruction as he's waiting on his next words of guidance from Jesus. Now, as I look at this story here unfolding, it's very beautiful to see. Take notice how as the Lord is about to work, do you take notice there how he's speaking to people on both ends? He's speaking to Ananias and telling Ananias, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to this place and Saul of Tarsus, he's there, he's praying and you're going to go in, lay your hands on him and he's going to receive his sight. He's also at the same time independently speaking to Saul of Tarsus and he's giving Saul a vision and he's telling Saul of Tarsus, who's awaiting guidance and the next steps, a man, Ananias, is going to come to you and he's going to show up and you're going to feel his hands go on your shoulders and when he does, you're going to receive your sight back from your temporary blinded condition. And I like to see this because before the Lord brings the encounter, he's speaking and preparing to people on both ends. Before he brings about this human encounter between two people, he's telling both people the same things. 
things that they both need to know before they encounter each other. Guess why? So that when the encounter happens, they have a sense of confidence. This is of the Lord. Because then as the event begins to unfold, they realize this is what the Lord's been talking to me about. And the other, well, this is what the Lord's been talking about. This is of the Lord. Wow. The Lord's telling you, yeah, he told me that. And he was, t- and then all of a sudden, as the Lord prepares both ends, he sets the stage beautifully before he works. And then it's totally evident and could be very confident that something is genuinely of the Lord. And oftentimes before the Lord works, he will do this. He'll prepare people on both sides. He'll be working on both ends in two different people's lives, speaking things to them, preparing them, so that then when his work begins to unfold, as the stage has been perfectly set on both ends, it becomes a sense of assurance, this is of the Lord. This is, this is totally of the Lord. Because he's been telling both of us, preparing us, getting us ready, the Lord is behind this. And again, remember, up to just three days prior to this time that we're looking at, Saul of Tarsus was what? This vicious, cruel persecutor of the church, breathing out threats and murder for the past few years against the church. And Ananias, put yourself in his sandals, seriously here, he has no awareness yet of the conversion. It happened three days ago. He does not know yet what happened with Saul of Tarsus. All he knows of this guy's background. And now Jesus says to him, uh, Ananias, I want to know if you could take care of something for me. Could you go over to that house there? Remember that guy, Saul of Tarsus? He's in the house. I want you to go in. I want you to directly encounter him. Put your hands on him in a very you know, loving way and speak my word to him. Now, that's why, look at verse 13, Ananias answers and says, "Uh, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has now authority from the chief priest to bind, arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias expresses his legitimate fear to the Lord. He's worried for his welfare because of the assignment he just was given. So he starts here in verse 13 and 14 to share his heart openly and honestly with Jesus. He says, Lord, uh, I've heard a few things about this guy. This guy's got quite the reputation. Lord, this is somebody who I'm quite intimidated by. He's got a reputation as a severe persecutor. I've heard the stories of the harm that he's done all the way back to Jerusalem. And now he's come all the way here to Damascus with more ill will and vicious intent to harm and arrest more people who are following you. So what's Ananias saying? He's saying, Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I know what you've asked me to do, but I'm scared to do that. Lord, I know you've spoken to me. Lord, I want to obey you, but I'm scared to do what you just asked me to do. Lord, I want to be obedient. I, I fear what's going to happen in my life if I follow what you're saying to me and what you're showing me. And given the natural circumstances, let's be fair. I think that's a normal thing there. It's a very natural thing in this kind of a situation. Saul in his prior state was a cruel and a dangerous man. He was a vicious individual. People who encountered him suffered greatly. It's totally understandable why Ananias would be expressing fear, why he would have worry, legitimate concern in this situation. What he's been instructed to do, listen, it appears risky. 
what he's just been told to do, it appears very dangerous and very risky from a human viewpoint. But guess what? The Lord has everything under control. And he's able to work in situations that may, to our mindset, seem risky because he knows the full picture. He already knows what he's done with Saul, what the future holds. And so it looks scary on his end, but yet the Lord knows exactly what's taking place. And there may be times in our lives when the Lord asks us or instructs us to do something that quite honestly is scary to us. He may ask you to do something. He may instruct you to go in some direction and you, for legitimate reasons, are afraid to do what you know he's leading you to do. That's okay. That makes you human. And it may be that the situation or the circumstances are legitimate reasons the Lord is telling you to do something and you got to face your fear. You got to face what looks like, well, I don't know if I, I could handle that or I'm ready for that. And so there could be that dynamic. And so it's normal and natural to then express to the Lord that you're afraid to admit to the Lord. I, I don't know what to do and, and that you find yourself being afraid. And look, it's OK to tell the Lord if you're afraid. It's OK to do that. He can handle that. It's OK to say, Lord, I know what you're telling me to do, but I'm kind of scared to do that. Lord, I've never done something like that, or I'm afraid what's going to happen if I step in that direction, and, and will, will it work out? And, and it's okay to express those things, yet keep in mind, let me say this, keep in mind as you're expressing that, and it's a normal way to process the, 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 the experience, keep in mind you also don't have to extensively, beyond what's necessary, tell the Lord every little detail of why you're so scared, as if somehow you overlooked something. Right? Unlike people, the Lord never launches a plan and somehow overlooks a few details in the process. Like somebody who's proposing a great new business venture and somebody raises their hand in the boardroom and says, ah, pardon me, did you forget about A and B? Oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe we should. It's not like that happens with the Lord. It's not like you got to tell, Lord, well, this could happen. And, and did you forget about that? And Lord, did you see my bank account and how much I'm making an hour? And Lord, did you forget about this? And I mean, that could happen. And then if this unfolds and that, and we, we start telling the Lord all these things he already knows. And he's going, do you really think I overlooked all that? Do you really think, honestly, I just somehow, oops, I, that doesn't happen. The point is he sees the big picture. He knows the full picture and he's in complete control. So it's normal to be fearful and you can express your fears. But at the same time, look, the Lord's got things under control. He knows the fuller picture. You don't have to rehearse all those things and fill them in on things he already knows about when you're praying. Just follow what he's leading you to do. Let me say in conjunction to that, to, to kind of balance that, my suggestion with this, just be sure you're following the Lord and not human presumption. Because if you're following human presumption, then you have due reason to be afraid. But if you're following the Lord, he may ask you to do something. That you have to face a fear. It's a little bit scary. I find that part of being sensitive to the Lord's leading in my life, part of being used by the Lord, means sometimes you have to be willing to face human fears. There have been more than one time in my life when the Lord's told me to do something. And the thought of it was terrifying. It seemed illogical. It seemed risky or dangerous. To, I had to step out beyond my comfort zone, like saying, will you marry me? Me? And she actually said yes. 
Miracles do happen, right? Or the Lord says, I want you to you know, uproot and make this major transition. Lord, that really doesn't make sense. That's a little risky. And da- but look, when the Lord is leading, sometimes it requires obeying in faith, trusting the outcome to him and that he'll take care of things if we just obey what he's asking us to do. So Ananias expresses his fears and concerns. Look what Jesus says to him, verse 15. Jesus, hearing his fears, says to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he's given an exhortation to obey and an explanation as well of why this was so important. What's the exhortation? It's one word. The Lord's exhortation to him in the midst of his wrestling with fear is one word. Go. Go. I level sometimes the Lord is so simple and straight to the point. Go means start. Get moving forward. Take a step. Begin. Get going. Move in that direction. The point is no further need to discuss anymore. We've already discussed it. I've heard your considerations and your concerns, but go anyway. And sometimes that's a necessary word that we all need to hear and not just hear, listen, but heed from the Lord. That if he says to us, go, do this now. You know what I've told you to do. Act upon it. I've spoken to you about this. Sometimes the Lord says, I've told you what my will is. You've contemplated it responsibly. I appreciate that, Jesus would say. You thought it through. You've sought out counsel. You prayed to make sure it was my voice. Your concerns are recognized, Jesus would say. But I know the bigger picture and I know what I'm doing and I haven't overlooked anything and this is my will and I am in control and I'm not really concerned the way that you are, Jesus would say. I'm comfortable with this because I'm in control of your life and I'll work out the details and the outcome. And so the Lord says, go, stop delaying, act upon what you know I've told you to do. He also gets the explanation of why that was so important. Look, because There was a calling upon this man's life to be used greatly. He says, go, for, he says, Saul is a chosen vessel of mine. That must have been strange to hear after who Saul of Tarsus was. He's a chosen vessel of mine. Jesus refers to Saul of Tarsus as a chosen vessel, a uniquely selected instrument that the Lord would use for his purposes, a vessel. When you think of what a vessel is, a vessel is just a conduit used for something to flow through. That's all a vessel is. We have blood vessels. So the blood flows through the vessel, through the conduit of our blood vessels to supply life and health to the rest of the body. A pipe is a vessel. So water flows through the pipe as a vessel to bring health and and, and benefits to people. A plate is a vessel. A plate is an instrument, something or a pot or a pan. It's a vessel or a drinking cup. They're vessels, but what is a vessel at the end of the day? A vessel is just something that's used to accomplish a purpose. That's all a vessel is. It's just something that's used for a purpose. And the Lord Jesus at times will select and use human vessels that his spirit and his power may flow through them as a vessel, as an instrument to help humanity. And Saul became such a vessel. Look, Saul did not apply for his ministry position. 
Saul did not campaign for it. He did not promote himself or seek or pursue that role or responsibility. He was chosen for it by a sovereign act of the grace of God. It had nothing to do with him deserving it or meriting it or he put in enough time for it or whatever. Jesus just selected him. He says he's a chosen vessel. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's the only reason Saul's going to get used. I picked him. That's it. Had nothing to do with Saul being worthy of it or special in and of himself. It was a total act of the sovereign grace of God for the purpose that Jesus had to use his life. Paul would later say, of course, Saul, who becomes Paul, referring to his own life in this way in ministry, 1 Corinthians 15, listen to what he says. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles, whom not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. Not I yet, but the grace of God, which was in me. He realized, it's just because he chose me. It was just an act of grace. It wasn't that anything I did merited it or deserved it, or I had such special skills. It had nothing. He said it was an act of grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's just what God chose me to do, and I'm just saying, yes, sir. I'm just submitting to what God's chosen for me. The purpose of Saul, notice, was to be a hand-chosen vessel, to be an instrument, he says, he will bear my name, verse 15, before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He was to be a messenger to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Who he was, what Jesus did and accomplished, what Jesus offered in the gospel of salvation. He was called and chosen to be an ambassador for Christ to point people to the Lord. He says before Gentiles, and though Saul was a devout Jew and seemed more suited really probably to win the Jewish people, the Lord did something radical and made him predominantly the gospel or the, the uh, uh, you know, apostle to the Gentile people. As well, Saul of Tarsus, Paul ultimately becomes used to proclaim Jesus Christ to many political leaders, to kings and people in authority. Like Billy Graham and others, he ends up audience before great powerful rulers to share things about Christ. He was also used to speak to the Jews, the children of Israel, often refused and rejected, but yet at times he would faithfully share the gospel as well. And the amazing thing is this man, think about him, who was this hateful, passionate voice against Christ and Christianity in the church ultimately gets drafted by Jesus and turned into the world's greatest promoter of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to talk about God's sense of humor. I mean, God's ability to show amazing grace. Paul says in Ephesians 3, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul, understanding it was so much by the grace of God, becomes so captivated that he is more passionate as a servant of Christ, ultimately, than he was as an enemy of Christ and the church prior to this time when the Lord brought him into this role look as well verse 16 what Saul was going to have to experience that went with the package also he says verse 16 I will show him Ananias how many things he must suffer for my name's 
sake. Notice, attached to the calling of faithful service to Jesus and ministry was together with that, the spiritual warfare and battles that were going to go along with that. As he was going to proclaim the gospel message of salvation and how to enter into eternity in heaven, the devil was going to war against that constantly in his life. As he made himself available to be useful for the Lord, Saul was going to understand, Jesus was going to tell him, look, there are going to be unique sacrifices required. If you want to be used by me, there will be unique sacrifices that you must endure. Things you have to give up, a willingness to suffer in ways that other people may not have to. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be heartbreak. There are going to be difficulties. There he said, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer, difficulties, hardships. It's just part of the package for ministering for the Lord. That if we want our lives to be useful for the Lord and we want to enter into the combat zone of spiritual battles, look, a soldier in combat, that's a hard place to be. A leader in combat is even more difficult. And so here, Saul of Tarsus is being told there are many things that he's going to have to suffer. And when we read the rest of the book of Acts, we will see that revealed in Paul's life. And look, those same principles being spoken here in that day to Saul of Tarsus, they still apply across the board for any one of us if we want to some degree to let our life be useful for the Lord. If to some degree we want to make ourselves available and useful for Jesus to work through us, if we want to be faithful to the Lord, if we want to speak his word faithfully, if we want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in ministering to people and doing the things the Lord calls us to do, at times it's going to result in attacks from the world, from the devil, and from people's response in their own flesh at times when we're trying to be faithful to the Lord to help people in their lives, to address sin or you know, speak in ways that at times are different. It's, it's going to involve times where, where you're going to suffer to some degree. You're going to have to be willing to sacrifice certain things. L let me just say, personal suffering goes hand in hand with serving the Lord. It simply does. Please don't watch these people on TV who give the impression that if you faithfully serve Jesus, life is happy, wonderful. Look, that's, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Jesus' ministry was effective and Jesus' ministry was effective because it involved sacrifice and servanthood and suffering. That's why it was effective because you have to die to yourself to give life to others. That's how it works. I'll tell you something, and, and please remember this. If you are looking for a convenient ministry, if you're looking for a nice, comfortable ministry, that's fine. But I assure you, it's not going to be a very effective ministry. It won't be very effective. Jesus' model of ministry was self-sacrifice and laying down his life, but yet it was very effective. And the same for us. You know, the question becomes, the Lord wants to minister to us and minister then through us, but do we want the assignment? Do we really want to make our lives useful? But I'll tell you, though it goes with the job description, if you yield yourself and say, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice if you call me to to some degree, I'm willing to suffer if that's what it involves to you know, minister or help somebody, I'll tell you, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Because the beautiful fruit far outweighs the pain and difficulties that go along with it. So hearing the Lord's exhortation, and this important ministry to go, 
Look what happens as Ananias now obeys. Verse 17, Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So likely as Ananias, I envision, is on the road now, traveling to this location, knowing where he's going, I envision, because of some of the language and conversation that goes on there, that the Lord probably begins to give further indication after he goes of everything that just happened with Saul of Tarsus. Because he talks about how the Lord appeared to him on the Damascus road. And when he gets there, he starts talking about Saul's conversion. So as he's on the way, the Lord's telling him, look, this man had a powerful conversion and he's a brother in Christ now to you and, and I'm going to use him. He's going to be a chosen vessel. So as Ananias, look at it, enters the house, he lays his hands on Saul, this past, remember, this past vicious enemy of the church in Christ, and he lays his hands on him, and I'm going to take a stab here, in his humanity, I imagine there might have been some temptation as he's in this blinded, vulnerable state and he puts his hands on him to just start squeezing his neck. Maybe it's just me. I read into things sometimes in the Bible. I'm sorry. But again, just honestly, take yourself into that moment up to this point. That man had done such hurtful, cruel, vicious things to people in this world to genuine followers of Christ, to people who Ananias loved, people who were attached to Ananias, his brothers and sisters. He had caused so much pain in his actions, yet Ananias, in the text here, he's not severe. He's not even stern with him. He shows up, puts his hands on him tenderly, on his shoulder in tenderness, and all the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus flows through his life. And look at verse 17. And he says to him, imagine this, Brother Saul. I'm thinking to myself, Brother? Do you know who that guy is? What he's done? His you just called him Brother? But see, for Ananias, he understood, Saul, despite what you have done, what Jesus has now done in you is what matters more. And so now, Saul, you're my brother. You're my brother. It's all forgiven. It's all forgotten. It's set aside. You're my brother. The power of the grace and the love of Jesus to forgive people, to change lives. Someone who is an enemy and who had done so much harm and hurt can now be your brother. Look, let me say this in regards to letting our lives be useful for the Lord. I found that sometimes you have to learn how to honestly not listen and yield to your human feelings and thoughts about a person in a given situation if you want to be used by the Lord. Because everything in your humanity, your feelings, your thoughts may be compelling you to respond a certain way, maybe due to what things they've done, the way they've behaved. Everything in your flesh and your thoughts and your feelings may be wanting you to drop the hammer, to get the bomb on them, to just slug them right in the mouth. You can pray for me sometimes. Everything in you may be wanting to do that. 
But sometimes you have to be willing to deny your thoughts and your feelings and be open instead to the heart of the Lord Jesus who's in you by the Spirit of the Lord dwelling within you to instead at times, instead of being severe and harsh and mean and nasty and cruel, to just show grace and love and mercy and compassion because I tell you, that is what blows people's minds. And that's what softens people's hearts and makes people be disarmed and receptive and opens people up. He says, Brother Saul, I know the Lord's appeared to you, he says. He says, I know that he's revealed himself. And as he puts his hands on him, it says, immediately, he says, the Lord sent me here that you might receive your sight. Immediately, he says, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight back in that moment. A miracle of the Lord. As Ananias spoke the Lord's words, to Saul in this moment with his hands on him, a miracle of the Lord happens and perhaps some damage that had happened to his eyes, maybe there were scabs or something all over his eyes from the brilliance of the glory of Jesus that he saw. Those things like scales, they fall off of his eyes and miraculously the Lord restores his sight and gives him his vision back. In a sense, just this beautiful picture here. It's almost like he's saying, Saul, the Lord wants to open your eyes now. He wants you to see things his way. You've been seeing things your way for a long time, Saul, but now he's opening your eyes in a brand new way that you would see things his way. The past few days, think of it, Saul has sat there humbly in total darkness, and I think the Lord gave him plenty of time to think through some things, and now here comes this disciple of the Lord, and he puts his hands on him graciously, and the Lord says through this process, Saul, I want to open your eyes now. You've been seeing things wrong for a long time. And I want to give you revelation, Saul. I want to let you see things the way I want you to see things. I'm giving you light. And he sends this humble servant of the Lord into his life to pray over him. And the scales that have been hindering his perspective on things are removed. And now he sees things differently. Now he sees things the way the Lord wants him to see things as the blindness is removed. And let me tell you something. The Lord loves to open our eyes at times. Because sometimes for all of us, we can see things so wrongly and Jesus loves to open up our eyes, to take the scales off and to let us see things the way that he wants us to see things, to let us see things properly because so often in our humanity, we can get such a distorted perspective on things, whether consciously or even just unconsciously. And Jesus delights to come in and say, I want to take away those scales and I want you to see things the way I see things. You've been seeing things wrong. And how beautiful to see this happen. He's done it for so many of us. He can do it in the lives of others. And from the other accounts in Acts 22 and Acts 26, we're told that Ananias also told Saul that he should be baptized to declare his public relationship with Christ openly. That's why verse 18 says that he arose and he was baptized. We're told as well in Acts 22 and 26 that Ananias announced the calling to Saul, that he was chosen to be a vessel. And he explained to him how he was now to be a spokesman for Christ, which is probably why in the end of verse 17 there, he said, Saul, I've been sent to you that you might receive your sight and also notice that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit that you would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, come under his influence, we've talked about this, that you would be baptized with the Spirit and power from heaven 
to be an effective minister to perform this ministry the Lord has chosen you to be used in. Literally, within the first few days of Saul becoming a Christian, he's already made aware of the need of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. As Jesus spoke of in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witness. And so just a few days into his new walk with Christ, he's filled, he's baptized, empowered with the Spirit for the service and the ministry the Lord wants to use him in. And look again, folks, if we are going to be useful to the Lord, do not ever diminish the fact that you need to be filled empowered, baptized with the power of God from heaven from on high to be useful for the Lord. Because it's not by might or by power that we serve the Lord. It's by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit working in us and through us that we become effective, whether it's being a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better servant in the church, a better person who shares the gospel in the world, whatever it may be. It's by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. And my question to you this morning would be this. How might the Lord want to use you? Maybe he might want to use you to go talk to a person and to share something with them. Maybe he might want to use you to go and to pray for somebody. Maybe he might want to use you to just go to somebody and show compassion and grace when nobody else would show him compassion and grace. Maybe he might want to use you to do something to a greater degree, to serve the Lord in some capacity. The question is, are you willing are you available to the Lord and are you willing to say, here I am, Lord, and to obey in faith to go? Much easier to steer a moving car. Sometimes you got to get moving and let the Lord steer you forward. Amen? Let's stand together.